We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the Barcelona Podcast, episode 125. On this opinion, brought to you by the most influential voices in the FC Barcelona community. I'm Dan Hilton, and back by popular demand, or I guess, should I say, really by his own demand, it's our friend Levon, better known as at Barcelev on Twitter and as a contributor for Kool-Aid Corner and the Barcelona Football blog. Welcome back, Levon. How have things been? Uh, and obviously, you know, the little backstory of you coming back on is, I for some reason, a few weeks ago on Twitter, it was I, I just put something out about... Uh, about something and you responded as i need to be back on your show and i said well yeah of course yeah you know that's just me being my humble self uh thank you for having me on what's up everybody yeah no of course levon one of uh, uh just again the main voices and an admissible opinion if any uh on social media and you know i i want to pull things back behind the curtain levon i think you, know, you have a reputation on on twitter as being a, you know we'll say a spicy character with a, a lot of spicy tweets and you like to engage with people but you know, talking to this person and you don't know you personally, you're really not that spicy at all. You're just, you know, a regular calm guy. And, uh, but that we have you on the show because of the things that you bring, obviously to social media. Yeah. You know, I'm actually pretty chill, but <laughs> I I'm agree. also very abrasive and <laughs> I can also be very abrasive in, in, in person, but a lot of it is tongue in cheek. So not everybody gets that. And also there's like the occasional F bombs, every like five words out there. Um, I always do my best to keep it clean when I'm on your show, though. Perfect. Yeah, we do have a clean rating here, so uh, you won't hear any of those from him. And even if he does drop one, again, we'll give a little bleep out or you'll notice that it's been cut off. Uh, but I, I think things are really positive right now after the Copa del Rey. Now, for those, depending on when you have this in your ears, we're recording this the day after the Sevilla comeback when they won 6-1, that being Barcelona. And that does prompt a lot of our discussion here today. So depending on what happens on the weekend, maybe things change. But... In the Barca world, I think it's good to fly high for a little bit, and that is affecting our La Gran Pagunta today, which is, and it's, it might sound like a negative, but this is based on a positive result and a positive uh, feeling and vibe and how good the team can be. La Gran Pagunta today, what is standing between Barcelona and the treble? And again, the reason we ask that is because for most of the, the offseason and the beginning of the year, we've said, let's not prioritize the Copa del Rey you know you don't want to put everybody in there and, and, and go for it completely because you want to try to prioritize the Champions League and La Liga but the way that Barcelona played yesterday led by Lionel Messi in the Copa del Rey all indications Levan are that they are all in 
not just on the Copa del Rey, but they seem to be wanting and engaged in every single competition they're playing in. Yeah, they uh, they do. I mean, what stands between us and the treble is really what stands between us and the Champions League, because that's the that's the big one. Without Champions League, you're not going to win a treble. Um, I think as long as Balberta keeps it like calm and does not go all out for the Copa, Copa del Rey and um, rotates a lot during the league, we will have a chance to win the Champions League. And if Barcelona wins the Champions League, we have a chance to win it all. Um, but the most important thing would still be rotation, rotation, rotation. So in order to actually go for that mythical travel that everybody dreams about, and really shouldn't care about that much or at all even, because we already have one travel more than any other club in the world, what they should just do is focus on winning the one trophy that is most difficult to win for Barcelona, which is Champions League. Yeah, and it's funny because it seems like the fans are in one corner, and Messi certainly said, no, we prioritize and care about the Copa as well. Uh, 30 Copa del Reyes for the club, which is more than anybody else in Spain. Uh, Barcelona at the moment have won four straight trophies and seven of the last 10 La Liga titles as well. So they have consistently competed, and you know, as I was getting into the other day on social media, that this run of just Copa del Reyes and La Liga titles is just utter dominance in Spain. And they've dominated Spain, but unfortunately in the court of public opinion, which is now a global game, it seems that the Champions League eluding them. And yet, again, that's the irony too, that they won three of the last 10 Champions League trophies, which is a run that every other club in the world would dream about as well, uh, just capturing that amount of success. And not to mention six of the last 10 Spanish Super Cups, and it's almost to a point where, not that we've taken trophies for granted, but we almost take the prestige of certain competitions for granted. And the, the question that we still have to ask, even by beating Sevilla, and now we're in the semifinals of the Copa del Rey, how important is the Copa del Rey? Well, everybody has to decide that for himself. Um, let me start with the backstory. So yesterday I lost my wedding band, my wedding ring. Uh, it was like 4 o'clock in the afternoon. I'm at work. I feel a bit off, there's something weird, and all of a sudden I know it, my finger begins to twitch, and I look at my hand, I'm like, oh, shoot, where's my wedding band? I never take it off, so I know I lost it. I call my wife, she's pretty cool about it, she's like, well, you know, don't worry, we'll either find it, or if not, we'll just get some new rings, it's, it's just a ring. So I'm like, okay, then I get home later that day, she's still cool about it, I'm like, okay, then... Um, I have season tickets, so I go to the stadium. I live pretty close, like 20 minutes. On my way to the stadium, my wife, my wife starts uh, texting me on WhatsApp, and she says, you know, I feel awkward. And I'm like, yeah, I feel awkward too. And then she goes like, yeah, I feel awkward that you lost the ring. I don't trust you. And I'm like, okay. So I'm almost at the stadium. I can already see the stadium, but I decide, I said, I write her back. Okay, I'm on my way back home because I don't want to be gone with my wife not trusting me. Now this is for a Copa del Rey match. If it were a Champions League match, I'd tell her, you know, I'm coming back home right after the game. So for me, that's the difference between a Champions League match or a Copa del Rey match. Uh, and that's personal. But then also when you look at it, like um, at a global level, even last week, um, there was this thing in England where the coach of Tottenham Hotspur Pochettino said yeah. that he prefers to uh, become fourth, uh, reach the fourth place in the domestic league 
than to advance in the FA Cup. Now the FA Cup has a lot more uh, like the history of the FA Cup is a lot more glorious than of the Copa del Rey. Yeah, a lot more prestige, uh, of course. Yeah, yeah, it has a lot more prestige. So for him to say, you know, I don't care about the FA Cup that much. What I really want is to be fourth in the league so that I can go to the Champions League. Right. That makes sense because just participating in the Champions League, not even getting to the second round, but just participating, I think clubs already make more money. Yep, you're right. There it is. Than actually winning the whole the whole domestic cup. And it's the same in Spain. You don't get a lot of money for it. It's basically a second tier uh, competition. We are an elite club. Should an elite club care that much about a second tier competition? Yeah, I mean, this almost this almost parlays itself into, you know, we never even talked about this on the show, but that all these the rumors that are created about the Super League potentially. And you're right that there's a certain level of club. It's it's Bayern Munich. You know who they are. It's it's Munich. It's Juventus. It's Real Madrid. It's um, it's Man City. It's in, in a sense, it is Liverpool if they're finally able to capture the Premier League title, which is one that's eluding them. But there is a there's a level of club that that those the FA Cup and the Copa del Reyes and basically anything in league just takes a backseat. Now, winning your league is still because of the amount of fixtures you play is still an important thing to do. That when Real Madrid and Atletico Madrid, those two other teams to capture the uh, La Liga title in the last 10 years, when they do it, it's a big deal. But for the Copa del Rey, it is something that Barcelona have captured 30 of them in their history. And now that they've won four straight, if for clubs like Bilbao, Batiste, and, I mean, Sevilla have done a lot of winning on their own as well, so this isn't anything to take away from Sevilla's recent success. Uh, but there is a certain type of club even, you know, and, and I really do, Bilbao sticks out to us because if Bilbao, who isn't often in the Champions League just because of, the, again, they are a second-tier club in Spain even, but historically they're a top-tier club in Spain, you know, the history and prestige of the name Bilbao, winning the Copa del Rey winds up being a big deal. And we also do talk about, again, the prestige, as you mentioned, of the FA Cup. It's a big deal in England, or it has been. But because of the money associated with the Champions League, again, you, you hit this right on the nail on the head here, that because of the money in the Champions League, the domestic clubs have all taken a back seat and just don't have the importance they used to. And it's funny when you hear guys, even Arsene Wenger back in the day with Arsenal, you hear the words that he says during press conferences and the way they talk about the competitions has changed fundamentally in the last, I'd say even what, five, ten years over the course of this last decade, the way we talk about we, uh, domestic cups is changed. And for Barcelona, I, I think the counter argument to all of that of rotation is that don't Barcelona and those big clubs have the depth in talent to just be able to say, OK, we can start Eleni in the Copa del Rey basically every time. And just like Jasper Sillison, that's his competition. That's why fans were saying, well, in the Copa del Rey, doesn't matter to me as much, but I just, for Sillison's case, I want him to continue on, and I don't want this to be the end of his Barcelona time uh, in net. And in the league, meanwhile, it's five points clear Atletico, ten points clear Sevilla, but yet if Barcelona were to falter or rotate too much in the league, then all of a sudden Atletico Madrid is right on your tail. So it, it seems to me that that rotation is the counter-argument to uh, or why Barcelona should be competing, at least, in all three. And again, I think trying to compete and win all three is different than not being satisfied if Barcelona don't win a treble. Does that make sense? That those are two different ideas. 
Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. And I also agree, like, you know, now we're in the semifinals. Um, I don't know when the draw is, but even if we draw Madrid, and for pure selfish reasons, I hope that they draw Madrid because because it means that I get to go to the stadium and see them play Madrid again. Yeah. But when they do, uh, I hope that maybe um, in the first leg, Carlos Alinha can start. So I hope that even if it's in a, in a, against a really strong opponent like that, that Balbeda uh, does not feel obliged to play the to play his gala eleven uh, against um, Madrid just because it's Madrid and it's a semi-final of the Copa del Rey. Uh, rotation is key. Like I said, if we want to travel, the, uh, the only way we can actually get a travel is if we win the biggest trophy in that travel. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if we win any of those three tro- trophies, I think it should be the biggest one, which is Champions League. So really the question we're reframing this as is what can stand in the way of Barcelona winning that treble? Now, off air, we started by talking about this and saying that, you know, you don't need to say an injury to Messi. I think an injury to Messi means that if you don't win the Champions League or any of the trophies, it's almost a mulligan because obviously I think, you know, Messi is the driving force. So th- nothing becomes an expectation anymore uh, with that double negative there. It's silly, but uh, <laughs> as, as, we, as we mentioned, you know, Messi is just, again, the focal point of what Barcelona are, what they do, and without him, it'll be tough. But in injury to another major player, now we've seen Dembele has gone down in a way that Coutinho went down earlier in the season. But, you know, I, I think the guy that I, I think about the most, and Umtiti's been out for a long time too, let's not forget. So if Pique or Langley were to suffer an injury, you'd have a problem. Alba, can he continue playing every match? And as much as we talked about depth of squad, it seems that Barcelona can be very light because while I think the backups can handle La Liga and Copa del Rey moving forward, there's no other guy that you trust at left back in the knockout stages of the Champions League other than Alba. Langley and PK and Umtiti just doesn't seem like he'll be able to get back anytime soon. They have him not having surgery. We'll see what happens. But if it's not those two, then who? And, the, I mean, the same thing goes for Suarez up top. And I think the having Dembele and Coutinho and not to say different guys being able to fill in on the wings, but Barcelona have managed when they've gone down because there's been another. There's, you, have that, you have that two-pronged monster, if you will, of Coutinho and Dembele. It, it is either or. Same thing with right back. It's either or Roberto and Semedo. I think either one are good enough to be starting in, the, in those Champions League matches. But those other positions of need, one little injury is the worry. And not even that, but with Alba, it might just wind up being fatigue. And you'd worry about him in that spot because, again, Suarez now has Kevin Prince Boateng to start some of the Liga and Copa del Rey matches for him. But for Alba, I don't know what happens. Absolutely. I mean, the idea at the beginning of the season was for um, Miranda to fill that role. He did okay when he played against Tottenham, actually. But then the last match which he played, he was just terrible. Um, I still think that we should trust Miranda against, uh, let's say, lesser opponents. Not only because it's good for his development, uh, I also think that a club like Barcelona, um, even when they play Miranda, can still beat a, an opponent uh, in La Liga who does not have Messi and Suarez and Dembélé and Artur and Rakitic and Busquets and Piquet and Mats Stegen on their squad. So the idea of like we, that we cannot play a youth player who is not necessarily at our level, uh, to me, it always seems a little bit ridiculous because of the insane quality that 
we have on the team. Um, but in the Champions League, that that is definitely a sore spot, which is why it's so important that we rotate Jordi Alba. La- last season, it showed that Alba played too many games. Um, that those last 10, 15 matches, he did look tired. Maybe if Umtiti gets back, he will be able to fill in um, at left back if something were to happen to Alba. I mean, I guess that would be the most logical choice against um, one of the one of the big hitters in the Champions League, right? Yeah, I think so. And I think that I was thinking about this the other day too. That when in the last two three years, when you think back to the times that we've seen, not I mean, Miranda obviously was this year, but when we've seen even Carlos Alenia in the last two years in the Copa del Rey. The matches they feature in, and I, I do mean like the B players and the, and the lesser players, uh, or bench players, if you will, Denis Suarez, et cetera, et cetera. When those guys feature, it's a full rotation. So I thought about it, and, and Ricky Puj, for all that we talk about his potential, he really hasn't got on the field with Messi. And I think that's part of the problem that I'm seeing, is that instead of putting Puj into the last 10 minutes of the Liga game, because Barcelona B are playing on weekends as well, so you want to keep who's getting full match, full matches with Barcelona B. He only plays those midweek Copa del Rey matches when Messi isn't playing because then Messi has to come on his white horse and save them in the second legs. So Puj's only shot, I know he didn't play in the first leg against Sevilla, but his only shot this season has been to play in the first leg of the Copa del Rey. And I think that's a little bit of an indictment. That's, I think, the one issue that I think Valverde has done a much better job. And we're about to transition to La Ronda and talk about Valverde in a second, so we'll leave this here. Is that uh, my issue then with Valverde in this is that instead of utilizing your younger players and assimilating them to a team that has nine or ten regulars, they're being assimilated to teams that have three or four regulars and then five or six other guys that are also being rotated or five or six other guys that are also paying bench roles. So, I mean, with Miranda, I think he should be starting next to Langley, Piquet, and Roberto or Semedo. And then that's the whole point. And then in front of him would be Busquets and Arthur or Rakitic. And you rotate in that manner to give him all the tools where he's going to succeed, where he's the one guy being rotated in this instance, as opposed to, again, every other time when, when Miranda looks up in front of him on the left wing and instead of having Nibele or Coutinho... We're talking about Denis Suarez, who has moved on to Arsenal, of course, now. But, you know, I, I think that's where I would hope that Valverde would have a, a little bit of... Give them the tools, as we've said, to, to be able to rotate them in that manner. But how he juggles that with their Barca B, playing on weekends, that kind of thing. But I, I think that's the whole point, that Barca B, the focus of that is to facilitate to the A-team. And I'm not too worried that Pimienta isn't going to be able to call somebody up or find some other midfield talent there's so many of them. I profile them in La Masia profiles. There are so many center midfielders in La Masia at all times that Pimienta, maybe it might be a year too too young. You know, it might be a 16 or 17-year-old, but there are still so many talented players that could just feature in uh, 10, 15 minutes for Barcelona B, and I wouldn't be too worried. So let's move to La Ronda real quick. Uh, and uh, Levan, I want to give you a chance to respond to that as well with this question. Minor asks, does yesterday's result give you the confidence of Alverde is the man to lead us to Champions League title or even a treble? So he kind of does ask us exactly what that. But what's your faith in Valverde after all this? And again, you can respond to what I just said about the youth players as well. Um, I'm, I'm of two minds. Let me first respond to what, what you were saying about Ricky uh, Push. I, I agree that Miranda should play uh, and he should not play and have Denis Suarez and Malcolm in front of him. 
Uh, you should give him some matches with, with an established team that can help him look good um, so that he's not like half lost out there. Uh, as far as Ricky Puig goes, as much as I would love to see him uh, in the first team and love to see him get a couple of minutes here and there, uh, we must also not forget that this is his first full season at Barca B. So the natural progression for, for a youth player is to first do that season in Barca B and during this season he trains with the first team before he starts getting regular game time with the first team. So I'm not really worried about that that much. Um, as for the question of, uh, what, what was his name? Munir? Minor. Minor. Okay, I'm sorry, Minor. As for your question, Balbert is a very, um, he always looks at the next match. He's not a midterm thinker. He's not a long-term thinker as, as far as we have been able to, to see uh, so far during his time in Barcelona. So can he get us the Champions League? Yeah, possibly, because where he excels is uh, putting 11 players on the, mat, uh, on the pitch and making those 11 players play well together because he has a very logical mind in, in what works and how to bring the balance, balance to the team. We saw that last season when he recognized that the way to bring stability uh, in, into that first 11 was to switch to, I wouldn't say a real 4-4-2, but a 4-4-2-ish formation. Uh, which we didn't la like at the time, but there was logic behind it. There was a purpose behind it. And we've seen it this season when he made that switch to make uh, Arthur more important and move Coutinho out of midfield in order to bring that balance that was la lacking during the first 10-15 um, ma matches of the season in which we conceded too many goals. So as long as he, does, as he doesn't screw up the way he did uh, last season in Rome, which was the worst coaching performance that we've seen ever for Barcelona and I'm exaggerating a little bit but still I think that you know I'm not scared of our chances to win the Champions League this year because of our coach he rotates more this time uh, he has a very uh, sensible and logical approach to the game so sure it's possible will we win it there's so many factors there's luck there's form of the day but I'm not afraid of Valverde in that sense um, after the summer We'll we'll see. I won't dis despair if he stays on. It doesn't excite me either. And and you talk about the role of Artur and that being the big change and one of the things, the moves of the season that gives you confidence. Ellie asks, is Artur our best bargain signing since Ronaldinho? And Artur came for a total of 31 million euros. But it def def off the top of my head, I think that the 18 million that Rakitic came for is probably even a better bargain already. But then again, you look at the ceiling of Artur and... Artur might wind up being, you know, dollar for dollar value even better because of the amount of years we're going to get out of Artur as opposed to Rakitic, who we, again, we got him at his peak. Artur, we're getting him even before his peak. Yeah, I, I thought about Rakitic. That was the first uh, thought that popped in my mind also. I mean, what's a bargain? 35 million? It's not cheap. No. It's not as if, you know, <laughs> it's not as if we find somebody for, for no money at all. Messi was a bargain. Like, <laughs> Someone's cheating. We, actually, we, we, actually, we, we went to Argentina and found him, or we were somebody in Argentina told, him, told us about Messi, and then we went to, uh, to see how he played and invited him to Barcelona. That was a pretty good bargain. Yeah, and it's almost, I, I guess, yeah, I guess you'd almost have to qualify that for the transfer, uh, for the transfer market because, yeah, any La Masia talent, I mean, Xavi, what a bargain, Iniesta, a bargain, basically any of the best players who've ever played for the club that came up through the academy. 
Um, yeah, that, that, that's yeah. true. The big difference with Messi is that at that time when we scouted Messi, I don't think it was the, it was that common to to get people from so far away to to join the join the academies. Uh, the scouting was uh, was very regional, but I think they're thought of Rakitic at least in modern times uh, as a transfer, huge bargain. Um, I don't even remember if Ronaldinho was such a bargain because uh, I I don't remember him being cheap. No, he wasn't at the time. And he was already a a very high profile transfer. I was delighted when we got him. I wanted him a lot more than Beckham, so I was very happy when we did not get Beckham, uh, as promised by Laporta during that campaign. But we got Ronaldinho instead. Um, I wanted Ronaldinho in our club, like from the moment that I saw his debut for Brazil. So that was delightful. Other bargains. I think we got Laudrup pretty cheap mm-hmm. because he was not he was not really playing that well for Juventus. So we got him relatively cheap. Other than that, my memory seems to fail me. Um, <laughs> not a bargain. No, Cadena, not a bargain. And a little uh, add-on I'd like to add to the Messi thing was, you know, you think back to the FIFA transfer ban from a few years ago. You know, uh, Messi probably would have fallen under that umbrella as well, coming from Argentina in the way he did when he did. And uh, it, again, it's almost revisionist history of what happens. Obviously, what happens if he never signs the napkin? What happens if it's all a game of what if? But uh, it is interesting to think about how where he would have fallen with that FIFA transfer ban and what that would have possibly meant for him. Um, but again, now we're just being nihilistic and. You know, you and I had said we wanted to avoid this. We wanted to stay positive. So let's get some questions about yesterday's game. A few more of those. Charlie asked, was this game closer to how we played under Luis Enrique with goals being shared around? Oh, I don't know. I think it was closer to how we played uh, under Balberta when, when we won the cup final against Sevilla 5-0 last mm. season. Yeah, I mean, I could, I, I, would, I would agree with that. And I, I think the reason for that is personnel in that this is different personnel than we're seeing. And I think the role of Messi is important in that, too. I think Messi in this in yesterday's game played the role that he's played under Valverde, which is uh, a guy that that coordinates so much the attack and drops deep in the way that he does and and spatially allows that right back to you know move forward. But also when you looked at the second goal, the way he made that dummy run to allow Arter the space to get to find Rakitic for that second goal, and maybe even finding Rakitic a little bit of a mistake. Um, but nevertheless, it, Messi's movement is indicative of, of the, the job and the role that he's played under Valverde. So I, I'm 100% on board with that. Um, but I, I think, you know, to Charlie's point as well, that direct style, the way that they were able to counterattack in the way they did, particularly for the fifth and sixth goals, it is very reminiscent to me. And, you know, Luis Enrique was watching there. I think if you just talk about that, and obviously the fifth and sixth goal, the sixth goal in particular, were, you know, peak of what we want to see with Barcelona, that they show you how good they can be, not only when, when they're, again, going against the mold and they're counterattacking, but when you have players that talented individually, counterattacking as a unit like that, they show you just how unstoppable they can be. Um, and so that was very reminiscent of, you know, that forward mid, I mean, the uh, forward trident of Neymar, Suarez, and Messi, where when those three were combining, those combinations were impossible to stop then. And that's, I, I think, to Charlie's point, that's what he's alluding to. And, you know, Rick also follows this up by asking, with the squad clicking together and, you know, being very confident, do you think they're going to be able to continue this good form moving forward or do you think that maybe it was just because that game was so wide open this is a big point too it, uh, in a La Liga game when a bottom of the of the table team just needs to get three points they're going to bunker in 
Sevilla played wide open because they had to come back in that game. And when you need goals, you're going to be pushing forward. So I think uh, to Rick's point, you know, that good form of combining happened a lot because of the space that they were afforded to because of the situation, as opposed to in the La Liga match where things are going to be a little different. I mean, mo- most games we have a couple of, uh, most seasons we have a couple of games like this, right? Yeah. Uh, so who knows? It's, it, it's hard to say. What I will say, like, especially that sixth goal yesterday, Sabia was already broken. Like, that fifth goal had completely demoralized them. And they were getting more and more demoralized throughout the game because Barca was just playing at a very high level. But that sixth goal, I mean, that was just playground stuff. It, it, it was absurd. And uh, what was funny about the goal is uh, after that, they uh, showed some fans in the stands and you could see it on their face, faces. They weren't even upset anymore. They were just like, uh, they just had to look at the, in the face like, yeah, no, this is just Barcelona just playing too well. And, and, and they could recognize that uh, Sevilla was just destroyed and they didn't even mind that much anymore because of the football on display. And yeah. you could also see in Arthur Vidal Arthur, that Arthur Vidal was celebrating that sixth goal in which he only had a minor role, but he just had this look of disbelief on his face. And this is a guy who has played in so many good squads, who has done so well for his country as well, has won a lot of important trophies, has played a lot of good football. And the, the look on that warrior's face, knowing that he's playing with people who can, who can combine and score a goal like that, um, that said a lot. Uh, will we see more of this this season? We'll see. I think a lot of it will depend on whether certain players uh, stay fit. And also a lot of it will depend on whether Dembele keeps playing as well as he has, as he has the last couple of matches. Yeah, that'll be an important point as well. And Gunnar asked, when do you think we last played as well as this? We played pretty well against Madrid. Right. That was my first thought too, this season uh, against Madrid, uh, yeah. Even though we had like 20, 25 minutes in which Madrid uh, played a lot better than us. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, you look at the caliber of the opponents, it's not Sevilla at the Camp Nou, because Sevilla at the Camp Nou tends to struggle. Like, we've seen a lot of games uh, in the last five years where we put four or five goals past, uh, past Sevilla easily. Mm-hmm. So th- this is not an isolated game. Um, I also thought we played very well against Inter Milan at home. Yep. Maybe we didn't score as many goals, but we, we played excellent football. Uh, we played very well against Tottenham. Was that at Wembley? Yes. It was in London. Yep, yeah. it was at Wembley, yeah. And and to the point, my, my thought with that is that you can tell when you're listing these matches that it's the same thing I said about Sergio Roberto. I was talking about this on the Patreon, that Roberto somehow has a way to get up and find his next level in the matches that he has to, in the most important of matches. So when you listed the, the, the matches you just said, Real Madrid, Tottenham, Inter being in the Champions League, that Barcelona play better when they have to. And I think that almost is a little bit of a, of a reaction to Roma last season, that the, the focus still this season is playing their very, very best when they have to. And I think that's a really important... That's If, if anything, that's what gives me confidence, that you've noticed this season the most important matches of the year were the ones that the team played the best in. Um, and I, I think, again, that's where I draw the confidence from. Now, that said, talking about Roberto, Mike Miller asked a question, why does Sergio Roberto never get criticized by the media? 
And no matter how much better than him Semedo is, Valverde never seems to get questioned about his decision to play Roberto at the right-back position. Now, you're in Barcelona, so you're, again, much more familiar with, with the media and the papers each and every day. Do you feel like Roberto doesn't get criticized as much as he, obviously, as he will online in a way that Rakitic is obviously not criticized as much by the national media than he is uh, on the Internet, as everyone is? But do you find that Roberto kind of gets a, uh, a, a pass? Well... There are two. There are two parts uh, to this question, or actually, there are two parts to the answer. Um, first of all, I don't think that Tomato is much better than uh, than Roberto. Uh, it's just that Tomato is a better defender, and Roberto, except for the last two matches, is, is a lot better on the ball. Um, I didn't even think Roberto had such a good game yesterday. He he stepped it up in the second half. Yeah. But I thought he he had a lot of poor t- touches in the in, in the first half. Um, but th- this idea that Semedo is a lot better than Roberto is simply not true. It can be argued that he provides balance from which the team as a whole benefits. But there are also games that um, Semedo has the ball and you say to yourself, what on earth are you doing? And not just in the final third also. Also when he tries to play it out of defense, sometimes he still struggles. Um, so it, it, it's more of a question of what do you need more? Semedo's defense or Roberto's um, game in possession of the ball. The second part of the question, no, Roberto does not get a lot of criticism here here in Barcelona. Um, I think it kind of goes uh, goes back to what Cruyff used to say uh, when he was a coach here. And he said, if I have two players and I don't know how, who to, I, I can't choose between them, then I will play the Catalan player because people like to see somebody uh, represent their region, their nation, their city when, when they go to a football match. Um, and I think in Europe, this, uh, this is definitely true. Um, in the United States and American sports, it's, it's very different because mm-hmm. uh, athletes go to university first. They actually get drafted by a university out of high school. So the university that they go to might not even be um, from the area where they're from. And then out of university, they get drafted to a pro team. So by the time they get into the pro team, like it's, it's very rare for somebody to play for their hometown, hometown team. Right. Whereas in, in Europe, it's, it's a lot more localized, not as much as it used to be, but still clubs have academies and everybody likes to see their academy player on their team. Yeah. So, so this for us, it's very natural. Yeah, and more so than Barcelona. They take that to the extreme, obviously. The, the confidence yes. and the pride they have in their academy players being on the field. Um, and a follow-up on Roberto here from Armin. Can you imagine a permanent transition of Sergio Roberto to midfield? My initial reaction is, I think he is a right-back. That's what he, I know he has always profiled as a midfielder. That's what he came up as. But I, I think he is a right-back. And looking at Frankie de Jong coming to the club and the future of the midfield... I don't think there's room for him there. I think it is that he is going to be a right back and he is the kind of player that he is. Does that make sense? He's kind of reached, he's at that age where he's at uh, basically at his peak. And I, I think this is the player we're seeing of who he is there. He'll have good form and he'll have bad form uh, at the right back position. I think again, this season hasn't been his best, but I, I think this is what he is. I think first of all, we need to recognize that if Luis Enrique had not converted him to a right back, then uh, Sergio Roberto would, would not be at Barcelona right now. Yeah, probably. Yep. 
even two seasons ago when uh, we had guys, uh, the likes of Andre Gomez in midfield, Roberto was not good enough to be a midfielder for Barcelona. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's possible that having started so many games in the last two years, that he is involved uh, and become a better fit in midfield also because, um, because he's a very in- intelligent player. He has most of the physical attributes to be a, to be a midfielder. He might be able to um, do that Rakitic role in which he kind of like uh, sacrifices or um, defends a lot. Um, I, I don't think he's creative enough to be a Barcelona midfielder. So I think that would be an issue. Uh, I also think that with Arthur and Frankie de Jong and Alenia and Ricky Puig coming through, um, those four guys are more talented than he is. Mm-hmm. Um, ideally, I would see him as being able to help out in midfield when uh, when we need it and being able to uh, help out in right back when we need it. I mean, I still hope that Semedo develops enough uh, so that Semedo will become a first choice right back because I think that with Sergio Roberto, there's just this um, defensive weakness that we have and I'm not sure if I want that weakness. Yeah, I think that that's a good point that his versatility does give you as a manager an extra wrinkle there where you even saw yesterday when so you wanted to add an extra defender so you put Semedo on it right back and that pushes Semedo up into the midfield and so you don't have to take a player out because it's not a like-for-like switch but because he's he can end a match playing midfield as we saw and look how dangerous he was again getting that goal and he winds up being the iconic image from that match and as you'd mentioned he probably wasn't he might have been Barcelona's I'm not kidding, 10th or 11th best player on the field. And that's not a bad thing, but that's kind of just where he stood in terms of how good everyone else was on the team yesterday. And yet he's going to be the image because of the role he played against PSG and then the role he plays against Sevilla, uh, getting that last goal, putting the exclamation point on it in the way he did. Um, And I I agree with you that I I think, you know, where his future stands is going to be as a complimentary player. And he's always going to do... You know, it, we've never worried about his, and the reason he doesn't get criticized as much, we never worry about his work rate. We never worry about how much he loves the club and how much he cares about the club and the sacrifice he'll give personally so that the team succeeds. And because of all those good qualities, you you know, we almost overinflate his importance and significance to the team. But in the same regard, you know, Semedo isn't, as you mentioned, an all-around finished product. So you're still kind of waiting. And I think that competitive balance, though, is a good thing. I think the debate we're having over these two is a really, really, uh, uh, it's a sign of a successful club because not only do we have one right back that can succeed in the Champions League and at those highest levels, but we have two. And that is a luxury that I think it's not to the level of Ter Stegen and Silson, which is the ultimate luxury, which is the, you know, the best competition you could have where you have a top three or five goalkeeper. And then you probably also have a top 15, maybe even 10 goalkeeper behind him. So again, no other club has that, but the competition at right back is something that I think is positive to have. Now, speaking about things that are debatable, uh, which aren't so positive, uh, Levon, not really even a question, but Enrique asks, uh, let's get your opinion on VAR so far or VAR so far this year. I love it. I mean, I've always advocated the use of uh, video technology uh, as far as maybe 10 years ago. I, I always said to everybody, look, it's absurd. The, the, the amount of games that are ruined by referees, everybody can see that the decision is horrible. Why don't we get video technology? And I, I also know that... Um, as a coulet, 
when I see matches, um, I don't mind when um, our penalties are denied because of VAR. I don't mind when our goals are given offside because of VAR. I don't mind when the opponent uh, gets a penalty or gets an advantage uh, because of VAR. If anything, I think this season, uh, VAR has been a bit too kind to us. We, uh, when was it? Two matches ago where I think the opponent should have gotten a penalty because one of our players, I think Jordi Alba, uh, grabbed a shirt and sure it was soft, but for me it was a penalty. Like I have no, no problem admitting stuff like that. At the same time, I know that a club that suffers a lot because of VAR, and this is because of all the BS that they've been getting away with for since forever, um, which is the club that we all hate, Real Madrid, like they're suffering because now they don't get all of the calls that they used to get. So for me, VAR is brilliant. They should have implemented it in the Champions League, and we would not be looking at three Champions Leagues in a row for Real Madrid. There you go. Yeah, and the reason it wasn't necessarily corruption in referees and the way that uh, that uh, that but that Italian soccer had uh, a few years ago. But the issue was that when you're talking about a Real Madrid and a Barcelona. There is more, and this is, again, involuntary. There was just more pressure in stadiums and in places where, again, Real Madrid, even in a Champions League final, 60% of the or 70% of the stadium is Real Madrid. And there is this, there's this, again, involuntary reaction to award it to the, the team that you're feeling all this pressure about. And I, I think, unfortunately, that's human error, and that's what happens. And uh, for VAR, that's, I agree with you that I think VAR... In theory, it's possible for that to still be wrong, but more often than not, it's going to be right, and it's going to be right so often that things will balance out. So as Enrique does, he even listed some examples. I think, as you mentioned, VAR has gone our way a bunch of times so far this year, but you know the, the odds are that it's not going to wind up that way, that things will balance itself out in the universe if VAR, if we can trust that the system works. And I agree with you that I think we just need to put the trust in the system. As long as the referee isn't destroying games by going to VAR too long, it seems like in Spain, it hasn't been too many delays. They, they kind of go to it, figure it out, and you move on with the match. And I think, especially in yesterday's match, I thought the pace did not ruin it. And as long as you don't disrupt the game, then VAR is doing its job. Um, so I think that's where I stand on that. Pretty good. So, Levon, let's finish this up with one last question here from Gerardo. Coutinho, we somehow made it the whole day without talking about his bounce-back game, scores the brace, played much better, and my thinking to this was uh, that he played better because of the space that he was allowed. Again, that because Sevilla played so open, he didn't have to just shoot against a compact defense. Instead, he had room to run and be creative and be the player that we saw him at Liverpool where really when he was attacking as that front trident, it, it reminded me of his time uh, it, as a red, but Gerardo, it does ask, do you find that Coutinho will continue to start and get a, a role? Or do you think Dembele immediately slots back into the starting lineup when he returns? So kind of a question from me and a question from Gerardo as well for you, Levon. Well, Coutinho played well because he went back to keeping it simple, which is what he needs to do. If he keeps it simple, then he has the confidence and uh, because people, all of a sudden people started saying stuff like uh, he's, a, he, he's a brain dead player. Look at him. He, doesn't, he never looks up. He just takes the ball and runs into four defenders. Um, but that was because he, his mental state was not right. It's not because he's stupid. Mm -hmm. So he went back to keeping it simple. Having the space, like you said, helped a lot. 
It also helped that the whole team played well. Now, the huge problem is that if Coutinho plays well, he's not going to go back in midfield because, uh, not because he would be a bad, bad midfielder, but because with uh, Dembele, Suarez and Messi in front of him and then Coutinho in midfield, there's no, no defensive balance. It's not Coutinho's fault. It's just the way that this, the squad would be, um, uh, the squad is made up. So you're not going to bench Messi. And Suarez is absolutely vital because you need that movement and you need that physicality up front. So if you say Coutinho plays well and we're going to play Coutinho, then you have to bench Dembele. And then in the end, you have one player who costs 160 million with all the variables and another who costs 145 million. And they're competing for the same slot, which is ridiculous. Like Coutinho was signed literally to replace Iniesta. You don't pay 160 million for a player to have him play in the position that you just signed a 145 million player for. It's, it's absurd. It's terrible squad planning and like I don't even know if, if, if that if that is the plan going forward well they, they just need to sell Coutinho so either you play him in midfield which is not going to happen because we just signed Frankie de Jong there as well or you sell him now if Coutinho plays really well this this season even better because we can get a better price but it's a headache to get rid of a guy who seems like a good guy who really wanted to be here like Right now, if he plays poorly, it's a problem. If he plays well, it's also a problem. Yeah, because you know, no matter what, financially, you're going to take a loss on him um, because of how much he costs the club. And again, also the personal parts of it that you brought this guy in because he wanted to come and he did what he had to at Liverpool to get to Barcelona uh, last January. He's assimilated and trying to figure it out and, again, playing with these high-caliber teammates with just the again the most incredible standards and sometimes it does take players a little while just it, it's easy again you go to the camp no it's easy to lose confidence at the camp no because of the expectations there um and you know before this we recorded this levon I, I do want to uh, also make a note that the expectations were that things were going to be pretty calm and quiet but i did remember just about five minutes into the show that i live right next to a hospital and obviously if people are familiar with what's happening in the u.s we have this polar vortex that's being called and it's quite chilly here so the generators have been on for the hospital so that's the sound you've been hearing all show long in the background so if you've been with us this whole show and you're still with us here at the end we just want to give you an explanation that is what you're hearing in the background it's the generators to the hospital doing what they need to do but we've done what we needed to do and that was have a great conversation about barcelona and so thank you to you levon i just want to give you the platform where else can people find you yeah you can find me on twitter at Barcelev, Barcelev is an S, because that's the option that the almighty Twitter gods gave me. Uh, I also occasionally write for Barcelona Football Blog. There's a piece up right now, barcelonafootballblog.com, uh, in which me and uh, uh, some other talented writers uh, take stock of, uh, of our season so far. And uh, I'll probably get uh, the podcast going again with, uh, with my friends on uh, the Coulet Corner, uh, Isol, Blue Grenades, Noel and and all of them and that's that's mostly it uh, I'll let you know if anything new comes up 
Yeah, perfect. Again, you know, we find you on Twitter, and this is your second time on the show, so you can expect to be on again. And for you, our listeners, thanks so much for tuning in again. You can tap in your app and check out the show notes to subscribe. You can find not only Barcelona, but you can find us on social media as well. We're on Twitter at the Barcelona Pod or at Hilton D13 for me, and on Instagram at the Barcelona Pod. Our closed Facebook group where we got these questions from is tvpod.link backslash group for deeper dives, discussions. You can also help us out on Patreon to continue making these shows at tvpod.link backslash Patreon. So thanks so much for listening to the Barcelona Podcast. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon on Forza Barca. Peace to Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.